Hello, New York City Church of Christ. I'm grateful to be able to speak to you today. My topic is finding Christ in crisis. Now, if we were to go back two or three months, we would know exactly what that crisis is. It's the pandemic. However, over the past month, we've been reminded of another long-standing crisis in America. And it's a crisis that will not be fixed by a physical vaccine. You know that I'm talking about the crisis of injustice and hatred and racism perpetrated against people of color in the United States. Nelson Mandela, the South African leader who spent almost three decades in a prison cell on Robbins Island because of apartheid, he said this, No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. And what we want to explore is this idea of being taught to love with an aggressive love like Jesus has. Finding Christ in crisis. I want to give you one note. These sermons are usually filmed early in the week. So today is Tuesday. A lot will transpire between Tuesday and Sunday. And if I don't speak to some event that has happened, you will know why this is pre-recorded. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. And in verses 1 through 8, we're going to look at Jesus taking his disciples into crisis and then them finding Christ in that crisis. And that's the way it works for us as disciples. Okay, if you look here, this will read very differently than whatever you're reading, but please try to follow along. And after six days, Jesus took along with him Peter and James and his brother John and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face, it it shined like the sun, and his garments, they were as white as light. And behold, there appeared also Moses and Elijah standing there with him. So here are Peter, James, and John following Jesus up a high mountain, and then all of a sudden he's transfigured, and he just looks like the sun. And there's Moses and there's Elijah right there beside him. And these guys were not ready for that because who of us would have been ready for that? But Jesus took them right into crisis. And that's the way it is with disciples that are living in the kingdom of God. Because as the kingdom of God advances, we go into crisis with God's kingdom. I know that sometimes we look at the church and we would... We would long for it to be like a luxury resort in the Caribbean, but it's a hospital. And we would love for it to be a hospital where people are quickly cured and quickly healed, but it's a hospital with wounded sinners. And it's also a hospital that's built on this gigantic battlefield that we call the world. And that's what the church is. And so we need to see that we're going to follow Christ into crisis, but What happens when that crisis occurs? Okay, let's look next. Because in verse 4, it says, uh, Peter replied and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three shelters, 
One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Three honorific shelters. And this looks like a really good idea. And Peter thinks he's got a great idea here. And so he's like, you know, Lord, I'm going to build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, the great lawgiver, one for Elijah, the great prophet. And then in the middle of him explaining this, it says in verse five, while he was speaking or as he was speaking, a radiant cloud overshadowed them. He got interrupted by God. Has that ever happened to you? Well, you got this great plan and you think, oh, this is an amazing plan and God interrupts it. And that's what happens here. He's interrupted by God. It says a voice came um, out of the cloud saying, this is my son, the beloved one. And it says, in him I am well pleased. And then a command, listen to him. And so Peter's trying to honor the great lawgiver and the great prophet along with Jesus. And God says, give honor to Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one I'm well pleased with. In other words, turn your gaze to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And when we're in a crisis, that's what we need to do. But then it says, and I think this is this is the real interesting part of the story to me, and also one of the most beautiful parts in the Gospels, the way this ends. The next part, it says, the disciples hearing this, they fell on their faces and they were extremely afraid, which is what I would have done. Just fallen down and with fear, shaking and quaking with fear. You hear the voice of God. And yet what happens next is how do you find Christ in crisis? Well, you just wait because he'll come to you. And that's the beautiful thing about what happens next. It says, and Jesus, and he approached them and he touched them and he said, get up, do not be afraid. And then it says after that, it says, and lifting up their eyes, they no longer saw anyone except Jesus alone. And I think that's so beautiful because here they are in crisis. They're literally scared to death. And Jesus comes while they're shaking and they're quaking and he approaches and he touches them. And I can see him touching James and then touching John and saying, hey, get up, get up. And then touching Peter and saying, don't be afraid. And they raise up their eyes and they see only Jesus. And that's the way you look for Christ in crisis. You just wait till he comes to you. And he will reach out and he'll touch you. And he'll reach out and he'll speak to you. And then you see him in your crisis. You know, we are definitely in a time of crisis right now. And I want to speak about that a little bit. Because of the recent events that have happened in Kentucky and in Georgia and in Central Park and in Minneapolis, we've been reminded of the ugly and sinful nature of racism. And because of the murders of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, I know that many of you, my brothers and sisters, many of you have feelings of fear and pain, and anger, and sadness, and despondency. Some of you have reached out and you've written to me and um, called me about these things. One, one brother who is a former student and also a friend of mine, he wrote me and he said this, 
There's some real intense racial prejudice coming to light in our country. It's been a very difficult, painful time for me. I've been feeling scared and really disheartened. I've also been really hurting for my fellow black brothers and sisters who are grieving and in a lot of pain. And then he gives a few scriptures. And one of the scriptures is a great scripture in Isaiah 1 verse 17. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And I love the way that Isaiah starts out there and he couples these two ideas together. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Do right and seek justice. And Isaiah just presents that as this is what we ought to be about. Another brother who is a former student as well and a good friend of mine, a friend of mine, he said, um, hey, what's up, Steve? I wanted to reach out. As I'm writing this message, I have tears in my eyes. I feel so compelled to reach out. As a black man and with everything going on, I want to let you know that I love you. Then he went on to say, I'm choosing love right now. And I know that it's never the wrong choice, especially in a time like this. And another brother, a student and friend, he wrote a more general letter, but he sent me a copy of it. And he said, feelings are all over the place. We are feeling scared, specifically scared that we or our loved ones, for no other reason than the pigment of the, the that they have been given by God, could be seen as a threat and killed by a member of society or the police system with little, with little to no ramifications. And then he goes on to say, we are angry, specifically angry that time after time when we try and communicate our fear, we are met with words that sound helpful but often serve as band-aids to the next killing. We are angry at the lack of fairness. We are angry at the lack of response. We are angry that people condone the behavior that leads to our deliberate execution. We are angry that this happens again, and there is no hard evidence to commit to hope that it will not happen again. And he shared a few scriptures as well. And one scripture he shared is Psalm 89, verses 13 and 14. This is such a great description of God. It says, your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And I love that image that the throne of God is built on righteousness and justice. Do right. Seek justice. That's the foundation of the throne of God. And I think that's a, a real upward calling for all of us. During this time, I appreciate these brothers expressing their thoughts and feelings to me. And in our classes, we would often up discussions and we would talk about biblical justice in class. And the discussions would go to, to discussions of racism, to discussions of ageism or, or sexism, how it is in society, but also how these things creep into the church. And we all we all felt there was an openness for us to be able to talk about these things. And I'm grateful for that. However, I'm sad that it took me so long to get into the classroom to teach about these things just because I had not studied it out deeply in my own life. And I'm also sad, and I apologize. I want to apologize for not having 
enough of these type of discussions with my own peers and creating classrooms with adults instead of me with young people to talk about these things. I apologize for that. These are the type of things that we have to talk about as a church, as, a, as people of God, in order for the kingdom of God to advance. You know, here's the thing. I need to listen. I have to. Because I will never know what it's like to be a person of color in America facing injustice because of the color of my skin. I will never know that. <clears throat> I will never know what it's like to be a woman in America facing the daily barrage of sexual harassment and discrimination simply because of gender. I'll never know that. My experience is the experience of white privilege. And the only way that I can understand anything outside of that circle of white privilege is to listen and listen hard and listen carefully and hear stories and let those stories sink into my heart. I also do a lot of reading because the reading helps educate me to the systemic evil of racism and institutional racism and how that destroys lives. And that's that's something that we all need to do, me especially. And so I try to do that. So I'm really grateful for these brothers reaching out to me, sharing their stories with me. Here's the thing. Racism is sin. Hatred is anti-God. It's anti-Jesus. And it's anti-Holy Spirit. Because God is love. God is a God of justice. And he opposes injustice. He is a God of fairness. And he wants people to be treated fairly. And we as God's people must uphold those standards. Amos said, But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Micah said, what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And of course, Jesus himself embodied justice and fairness and love. You see it in his life and in his ministry. Martin Luther King, in this collection of sermons called Strength to Love, if you haven't read that, you ought to read it, he said this about Jesus. He, Jesus, knew that the old eye-for-eye eye philosophy would lead everyone blind. Leave everyone blind. He did not seek to overcome evil with evil. He overcame evil with good. Although crucified by hate, he responded with aggressive love. I, I think that's fantastic. Jesus responded to hate with aggressive love. We need this aggressive love of Jesus. An aggressive love that preaches and teaches and embraces justice and fairness. It seems like at times that maybe our fear of focusing on justice is that it'll cause us to take our eyes off of the mission of seeking and saving the lost. But let me tell you, that's a false dichotomy. Because seeking and saving the lost and the mission of justice are the same. 
It's the same mission because it's the mission of Christ. It's the mission of Jesus. And if we are going to fulfill the ministry of Jesus and the call of Jesus, then we must do right, seek justice, and love the lost. And it all works together. You know, these are dark and discouraging days, days of heaviness. But there is one thing that has encouraged me through these days is how I've watched our young people and our young ministry people, millennials and younger, and have watched them engage in this topic and act and listen to each other and talk. And I've been so encouraged to see how they're searching to do something good during this time. And I just want to be with them. I, I, I want to help them. And I also know that together we can get so much more done. I am encouraged to see the way that they have taken on this. And Jesus is there. He's there. He reaches out and touches us. And he encourages us also. Now let me just close by just mentioning a few things that I think we can do as disciples, as part of God's kingdom, to respond to this current crisis. Here's a few suggestions for us as a church, for us as a community, for us as individuals to do to respond to this. Number one, and this, is, this might be the most important, listen and learn. Be willing to listen. Hear the hurt of people and then empathize with people and show compassion. Dr. Dr. Z up in the Hudson Valley Ministry reminded me that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, so that we would listen. And as we listen, we begin to understand what people are feeling so that we can respond to their hurt. Listen, educate yourself. Educate yourself to the signs of racism, hatred, bias, prejudice. Educate yourself to how systemic and institutional racism destroys lives. Read good books. Educate yourself. That's number one. Number two, examine your heart. Examine your heart to see if there's prejudice or bias in your own heart and deal with that. Work on that. Give that to God. And if you don't know if it's there or not, ask a really close friend, a friend who listens to you and listens to the way you, you talk and um just ask a close friend, what do you see in me? And learn and then work on that and let God work on you. Number three, pursue justice. Seek justice. We must work against hate. We must be part of the solution. We must embrace the kingdom agenda. The kingdom is called to be a prophetic community, to be a light to this dark world. We're to critique the world and the lack of justice that we see in the world. And we need to call out when there's a lack of fairness there and, and, and just uh, call it for what it is. And the kingdom should be all about justice and fairness. It is good news for the oppressed. Let's be a light to the world. Let's pursue justice. Number four, persistently and humbly ask, your brothers and sisters, to engage in this topic. 
you know, a workshop on this topic, that's a good start, but it's only a start. We have to develop deep biblical convictions on this topic. We have to develop the conviction that injustice is wrong. And also, here's the thing about our church anyway, and our churches. When we decide that we're going to do something well, it's because we see it in the scriptures. And we get a deep conviction based on the scriptures about it. Then we go out and we do it well. And that's where we got to start. We need to read from Genesis through Revelation. We need classes on this. We need to talk about it. We need to be able to quote Micah 6 verse 8 and Amos 5 verse 24 as well as we quote Matthew 28, 18 through 20 or Acts 2, 38. But that's going to come from study and conviction. Number five, we need to be active in God's kingdom. We need to advance God's kingdom on earth. Jesus worked with people one-on-one, and that's what the kingdom of God is called to do. We do not have the luxury of doing nothing. We're kingdom people, and we need to we need to advance the kingdom by helping other people. Jesus changed the world one person at a time. And we need to fight injustice, not with the weapons of the world, but with the weapons of Christ who gives us spiritual armor and spiritual weapons because we're in a spiritual battle. And then, number six, seven, and eight, stay humble, pray, love aggressively. If we will do these things, it will help us in the present crisis. Christ is there. He's present with us. I just want to say that this is a topic that I appreciate you listening to me talk about this topic. It's a topic that I am growing in and trying to change my life in this area. But I'm trying to change it because of the biblical conviction that I have of how important justice is to God. And in the middle of this crisis, we can look a lot of different directions for help. But if we'll look up, we will see There's Jesus and Jesus alone. And he's the one who can help us during this time. We're going to take communion now. So let's pray for communion. Dear Father, we come to you now as a community to ask you to lead us through this turbulent time. Help us to seek and to find Christ in this crisis. Help us to wait for him knowing that he's going to reach out and touch us. And help us to listen to him. Help us to fight hatred with aggressive love. Help us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you. We thank you for this bread and this fruit of the vine. We ask you to bless it. And we know that the presence of Jesus is here with us, even here with this bread and this fruit of the vine. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.